السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله this is our second session and during the month of Ramadan we congratulate all the Muslimin for this blessed month we ask Allah Jalla wa'ala to make it a month wherein we all benefit and we are able to become closer to him and attain his mercy I'm just waiting for Sheikh Ibrahim and as well as anybody else who is following in the live stream so as we mentioned, bi'idhnillah, we want to touch on some of the stories in the Qur'an, and that is the theme during the month of Ramadan. So yesterday we spoke about some of the stories mentioned in the first juz. For those who are unable or who missed the live, we have also uploaded them to YouTube. Inshallah, today we will be speaking about some of the stories mentioned in the second juz. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Shaykhna, how are you? Alhamdulillah, how are you? I hope you're well. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, I'm well. Uh, I expected to be on video today, but it seems like it's uh, it's not uh, there again. Alhamdulillah, this is fine. Khair, inshallah. Yes, inshallah. Uh, so you were introducing the topic, right? Yes, I was mentioning that inshallah today we want to speak about some of the stories mentioned in the second juz of the Quran. Yesterday we spoke about the stories in the first juz. We spoke a little bit about the creation of Adam. We spoke about Musa alayhi salam, his stories with Banu Israel, Fir'aun, the story of the cow. We also spoke about Sulaiman alayhi salam in magic. And lastly, we spoke about Ibrahim alayhi salam. When we look at the second juz, we find that there are many stories mentioned in this juz. The first incident or the first story is about the Qibla and how it was changed. Basically, when Rasulullah uh, at the beginning of Islam, when he was performing Salah, we find he was ordered to face Baytul Maqdis or Jerusalem. There, later on, Allah revealed verses and ordered him to face the Qibla. Yes, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered him to face the Qibla and uh, you know, it's said that for 10 months when he moved to Medina, he was still facing Baytul Maqdis and he'd always uh, call out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ask him to make the Kaaba the direction that he would be facing. And he'd look up into the skies and wonder when revelation was coming. And we find that 10 months later or slightly more uh, of time later, he, he was allowed to face the Kaaba. He was very happy at this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, We see the turning of your face into the heavens, meaning he was looking up, expecting for the, this ruling to come through. I find it amazing that how Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wanted the Kaaba to be the Qibla and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made him wait. Now, in today's time, we find that the Kaaba, yes, Salah is going on. Yes, there is Jama'ah that's going on, uh, but it is a very small Jama'ah. The people have been prevented from coming to the Kaaba. This is the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ultimately, uh, we all want some uh, the, the, the doors to be opened, but we know that there is goodness in it remaining closed. We don't want people to die. And for this reason, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed that the Kaaba will remain close to the, the, the rest of the people. So sometimes something is good and we don't understand how that is good, especially when it comes to how the Kaaba has been closed today. All of us want to visit and we have been visiting for years. The authorities have been doing a, a, a good 
a job in letting people come, etc. And today, because there's a reason that they have to close it, we need to understand, have patience. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will definitely open it up again at a time which is suitable and right. You know, you mentioned a powerful point. Even though Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa wanted the Qibla to change, he wanted to face the Kaaba. We find it didn't happen immediately or when he wanted. Rather, at the time where Allah jalla wa ala decreed, then it happened. What stood out for me was Allah jalla wa ala speaks about the Qibla and he mentions how this was a test for the people at the time. Those who had entered Islam were not really strong Muslims. It was a test for them to see whether they will remain or is this a religion that carries on changing and chopping and it's not really consistent. It was also a test for the people of the book at the time. After the whole debate and argument about the Qibla, those not following this one's Qibla, and Allah says we don't follow their Qibla, he mentions a very important ayah. He says, Basically, all these groups, everybody has their own direction that they face. They all face their own ways. So, for example, we face the Kaaba. What does Allah say then? He says, It's not all about arguing and fighting and this is my Qibla, my Qibla. You have to actually do the work. Sometimes we find that we end up arguing when it comes to, you know, the mechanics of certain things without putting in the work and without doing everything. So you find generally our discussions or our debates become academic or on pieces of paper. And it's just ideas floating from here to there. Yes, that is good. However, it shouldn't prevent us from doing the actual work. Do good deeds and precede one another, compete with one another when it comes to doing the actual deed. Yes, you know, that, that's amazing that you mentioned that because فَاسْتَبِقُ khayrat means that there are many forms of goodness and many good deeds. Today you find uh, different people believe that they are the only ones that are doing good work. Yet many different people are doing good work, those in the madaris, those in the masajid, those who are going out uh, being charitable. We are all part of one ummah and we need to help each other you know how Rasulullah says, Yashuddu ba'duhu ba'da. Uh, some parts of it strengthen other parts. Today, unfortunately, if I'm in the masjid, I start looking at the next man and saying, he's doing bad work and he's not, and I need to bring him down. Why? We need to strengthen one another. And the minute that we differ, فتفشلوا, you'll become a failed nation when you start fighting with each other. And your power, your might, it goes, it's gone. You've lost it. So your might as an ummah is basically dissolved once you begin to fight with one another. So your, your point is solid, very, very uh, valid, mashallah. Um, you know, as you mentioned, we complete one another. Everybody has their own strengths and you have to play to your strength. If your strength is teaching Quran, you've memorized the Quran, you know qiraat, well, that's your strength. If your strength is in business, well then use that. Yes, live a comfortable life or however Allah has decided, but use that wealth to help others. And the third person who is maybe an expert when it comes to health, well then use your expertise. Is there anything else or should we move on to the next story? I think let's move on to the next story. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ خَرَجُوا مِنْ دِيَارِهِمْ وَهُمْ أُلُوفٌ حَذَرَ الْمَوْتِ do you not see those who came out of their homes uh, whilst they were in thousands? And 
they were fearing death. So they ran away from death. Now, when you look at the tafsir of this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is actually talking about a group of people who ran away from a pandemic, according to one of the uh, versions and narrations. So they ran away from a p- pandemic, yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then told them, فَقَالَ لَهُمُ اللَّهُ مُوتُوا die, ثُمَّ أَحْيَاهُمْ And then later on, he brought them back to life. Uh, what do you find is amazing for you? What stands out for you in the story? You know, the point we mentioned previously, and I think I'll repeat it again. Death in itself is a sign that there is a creator. There is, you know, a being who is in charge. Because if that wasn't the case, we would find today with technology and science having reached a certain stage, people would be able to run away from death. But the fact that you cannot run away from death, even if you are in your thousands, even if you are a group of people, even if you're running away from one place to another, you will not escape the decree of Allah. And at the same time, everybody will die. So we've got to think about that. If you know that you cannot escape from death, everybody has to die. Surely you've got to start thinking of preparing for this. Yes, wahum uluf. I think that's what I wanted to focus on, uh, which is <clears throat> to say that there were thousands of them, yet they were not able to escape death, and they couldn't, you know, escape. Now I know I may be jumping the gun here, but we find that later on, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala talks about how this small group of people can defeat a large group of people. So numbers don't really play a large or a big role. Yes, they have an impact in whom you are, but quality over quantity. Sometimes you have a small group of people, but they can achieve wonders. And you have thousands that don't know what they're doing. And, you know, they don't achieve anything at all whatsoever. So the the thousands of numbers never really helped them in their running away from that death. Of course, nobody can really and truly run away from their time if it has been written. That, that's the belief of every believer. Uh, but I think the final point that we can derive from this is that it, numbers really don't matter. What really matters is quality over quantity. You need to make sure that your group is a strong, powerful group that will ultimately help you and benefit you, be with you in, 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 in the times of need. You know, that is such a deep point. Actually, when you ponder over the ayah, now that you mentioned it, I'm thinking, why did Allah Jalla wa'ala mention wahum ulufun? There were thousands in number and a very interesting and solid point you mentioned there. And that just a reminder for those who are following. The Quran, yes, there is a message. You know what it says, but you also have to ponder over it. These are the types of benefits you are able to extract. Obviously not going against what has already been mentioned directly in the Quran and Sunnah. However, there are still these gems that are extractable. Sheikhna, you know, before we move on to the next point, I just remembered how at the end of times, um, Ya'juj and Ma'juj will actually reach a point where they'll be so arrogant that they'll face their arrows into the heavens and fire up into the heavens. And when people ask them, why are you doing this? They say, we want to kill Allah they'll become so arrogant that they'll say they want to kill Allah. And then the arrows come down with blood. So they say, yes, we've killed Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is too powerful for you to even reach the, the, the heavens with your arrows. How are you going to kill Allah, Rabbul Izzati wal Jalal, who gave you life? 
who gave everybody life. So we as insan need to understand our place as human beings. Sometimes we begin to, to think we're too powerful and mighty, yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows us. You know, it's said that they will die. As far as I'm sure, uh, and Ma'juj, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send a worm that will eat their necks. And this is how they'll die. You know, a small little uh, virus, perhaps, and something that they can't even really have control over, yet they felt they were powerful and they could cause so much mischief and corruption on earth. So sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us rain in order to for us to turn back and to return. And when we don't return, he gives us time again and again and again, and we become more haughty and arrogant. Then comes the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah jalla wa'ala protect us and make us from those who always turn to him. Moving on to the third story that we want to touch on today. It's the story of Talut. Talut was a pious slave of Allah Jalla wa'ala from Banu Israel. Banu Israel, as we'll see later, they wanted to go and fight the story of David and Goliath, or Dawood and Jalut. We'll get to it. At the beginning of the story, Allah Jalla wa'ala says, Banu Israel, they asked for a king so that they could go out to this battle. They were, they were thinking that somebody from amongst them who had wealth and who had high lineage or a good lineage would be chosen. So Allah Jalla wa'ala mentions this story. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, for me, what, what stood out in the story is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقَالَ لَهُمْ نَبِيُّهُمْ إِنَّ آيَةَ مُلْكِهِ أَنْ يَأْتِيَكُمُ Indeed, the sign of the kingship of this king is that a box will come to you. In it will be mercy from your Rabb. And there will be remnants of that which the family of Musa and Harun had, the people of Musa and Harun had. And the angels will be carrying this. The angels will be carrying this. Indeed, in that is a sign for you if you are believers. Now, what stands out for me is that these people were given a sign where it was physical, they could see it. It was from the remnants of Musa and Harun. It is said that it was the staff of Musa and some of the tablets. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best as to the authenticity of this. Uh, but basically, they were given remnants from Musa and Harun. And not only that, the Malaika, the Malaika who were carrying this on their shoulders, bringing it down, or the Malaika who were carrying it, bringing it down, you could actually see it coming from the heavens. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says at the end that in that is a sign for you if you are believers, basically telling them, that, you know, no matter what signs a person gets, if he wants disbelief, he will disbelieve. He can have the angels come down to him and give him a sign. It doesn't matter. For such a person, he will not believe. But the one who wants to believe with, this, uh, believe with the slightest of evidence, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will open up his heart. He'll be able to see the truth. He'll believe in Allah. He'll believe in the last day. Sometimes you speak to a person for hours on end, you prove to them from different angles, and they just don't want to believe. That is their choice. They've been accorded that by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they've chosen disbelief for themselves. So unfortunately, they then go down that path. There's nothing that you can do about it. And uh, I think this is important for us to know, even in our day-to-day -day lives, where 
You know, sometimes you argue and fight with a person, you want them to understand something and there's no benefit in that argument. Understand when you should stop and leave it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because hidayah and guidance is not in your hands. Ultimately, it is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, you mentioned a solid point when it comes to this, especially in our day-to-day -day lives. Sometimes when people are stubborn or they really don't want to, don't carry on wasting your time. It's about time you moved on and did something. As we mentioned before, a lot of talk, a lot of, uh, you know, conversation and basically tennis to and fro, people are throwing and the other one returns. There comes a time where you find your productivity goes down. For me, what stood out is when Allah Jalla wa Ala says, Qala inna alaykum, After Banu Israel told the Nabi, they said that how could you choose, how could Talut be appointed? Because he is not one who has a lot of wealth, he's not a person of lineage. The Nabi said, Qala inna alaykum. Allah Jalla wa Ala is the one who chose him. Allah chose him to be in this position of leadership. This teaches us that in our day-to-day -day lives today, sometimes we become jealous when we see certain people in certain positions or they have a following or they have wealth. Remember, it is the choice and the decree of Allah. It is not for you. Look at Banu Israel. They said that why is it that Allah didn't choose who we wanted in the same way we shouldn't be like that. Why did Allah give him so much? Why did Allah give him knowledge? Why did Allah give him wealth? We have to submit to the decree of Allah, especially when it comes to people's positions. Yes, that's so true. So basically, when you are jealous, then you're actually questioning the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, you know, why did Allah give this person? It's, it's wrong for a person to do that. A believer who's strong in his belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would never question why Allah gave somebody else, but rather focus uh, on what he has and thanks. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for what he has been given. Uh, that's amazing and a, a solid, solid point. I think that uh, many people today focus on what others have, especially with the advent of social media. You, you look at what everybody else has and you don't actually focus on your own. Uh, yet, you know, to put it in very current terms, if you go onto your own profile and go through your own pictures and what you have and what you've been putting out there and focus on that, perhaps you'll realize that you have so much that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you that you should focus on and thank him for uh, rather than, you know, looking at what others have. And this is what the hadith of Rasulullah says that ila man huwa Look at those who are beneath you, below you, those who have less uh, in terms of material possessions and wealth. Uh, because the minute you do that, then you realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given me so much. I need to thank him and I need to really be appreciative of what I have. You know, the hadith that you mentioned of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam really puts it into perspective. When you look at the material part, always look at those who are below you, those who have less than you, so you can appreciate. However, when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to good deeds, if you've done something good, don't think that you're the best or you've done everything and everybody who's below me. Here, you look at those who are better than you. You find you were able to read your... For example, your sunan of salah today, you are able to read some of the voluntary prayers. Well, there are others who have longer qiyamul layl or they read the voluntary night prayer. And if you are able to do that, maybe there are others who read a lot more than you read during that time. And if you are able to do that, maybe there are others who have given their wealth and so on and so forth. There will always be a, a benchmark or people who you can look up to 
when it comes to doing good deeds. So you can become, or you can try and compete with them and it keeps you humble. You know, Rujb is also a sin. In fact, it is a grave sin where a person becomes, you know, he becomes proud and he feels that, you know, I've done so much good and everybody else is below me. That in, that in and of itself is a major sin. That is why it is mentioned in some of the hadith that when it comes to a person who's committed a sin, but he's sad and he's remorseful and he wants Allah to forgive him and he tries to rectify, he is better than a person who does good deeds, but he feels that he is the best and he is the only one. Yes, yes, uh, absolutely. Can uh, I move on to our last point? Yes. Inshallah. So uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says that Talut uh, moved on with his army and he came to a river. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested him and his army with a river. So Talut told them, فَلَمَّا فَصَلَ طَالُوتُ بِالْجُنُودِ قَالَ إِنَّ اللَّهَ مُبْتَلِكُمْ بِنَهَارِ فَمَنْ شَرِبَ مِنْهُ فَلَيْثَ مِنِّي Whoever drinks from it, then he is not from amongst me. وَمَنْ لَمْ يَطْعَمْهُ فَإِنَّهُ مِنِّي إِلَّا مَنْ اغْتَرَفَ غُرْفَةً بِيَدِهِ And whoever drinks from this river, then whoever does not drink from this river, he doesn't taste it, then he is from me except those who have just a handful. فَشَرِبُوا مِنْهُ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا مِنْهُمْ So most of them drank this except for a very few. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues to say that then these very few continued and they reached this huge army. Correct me if I'm wrong. They came across this huge army and they said, كَمْ مِنْ فِئَةٍ قَلِيلَةٍ غَلَبَتْ فِئَةً كَثِيرَةً بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ How many small groups have overcome and overtaken large groups with the help and the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then it is said that Talut appointed uh, a person or said that who is going to kill Goliath, Jalut, who was a giant from amongst the other people. And uh, the, 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 he, uh, Dawood then came up and he said, I will do it. And it is said that he actually killed off Jalut and he became victorious. Yet he was smaller than uh, the Goliath. So uh, perhaps you can correct me if I'm wrong in the sequence of events or something has been left out. You know, as you mentioned, Allah Jalla wa ala speaks about this and he mentions it in detail. The point I want to touch on is when Allah Jalla wa ala says that they eventually, you know, there was a face-off where there was this army and that army. He says that as for those, the people or the army of Talud, and where Dawood was, these people, one of the first things they did was they made dua. Basically, they made dua and they called out to Allah Jalla wa ala. And this teaches us, even if you are, yes, in a, in a stage or a position of weakness, also if you are in a position of strength, remember Allah Jalla wa ala. He is the one who decrees whether you will be victorious or if it's something else, something in your life, he will decree or he has decreed whether you will attain this or not. So we have to remember Allah Jalla wa'ala. That is why also at the time where the Battle of Badr also occurred during this month, we find that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam carried on making dua, calling out to Allah Jalla wa'ala. So we have, yes, on the ground, you have your strategy. You Even if it's something normal in life, you have your strategy, you try your best. But you don't forget that at the end of the day, everything comes from Allah. Yes, you know, that, that, that's so true. Sometimes we look at our numbers, etc., and we begin to 
uh, become deceived by these numbers. We feel that we are very powerful, very strong, yet we need the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Without his help, there is absolutely no victory and no nasr from him. Um, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they came to this river. Allah is testing you with the river. And this happened before the battle took place. So a large group of these people drank from the river. They failed the test and they left that army. Now, when Talut looked at this, perhaps, or when the people looked at this, they may have seen it as something negative. Look at how many people have left us. Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was purifying the ranks of those who were too weak. So we, we need to understand that sometimes we see something as a setback. Number one, it, it's not necessarily a setback or negative. Uh, it can actually be a good thing in the long run, but you can only connect the dots going backwards. So you'll understand, oh, wow, this is how this what happened. And uh, ultimately, it helped us in this manner. But you can't connect the dots going forward. Number one. Number two, when you want to achieve a task in your life, then make sure that you purify the ranks of the people around you and amongst you. Choose whom you want to do it with. Don't just go willy nilly and choose people off the street. You know, some of the most intelligent uh, businessmen and entrepreneurs are those who know who to place in what position and who to choose and who to employ and who not to employ. So they look at everybody, at everybody, consider everything and then say, okay, these people not worth it. Those people worth it. This person needs to go in this position and that person in that position. They need, they know who to place and where to place them. So Part of achieving your mission, and I think the main goal, the main uh, reason why people achieve their goals and ambitions in life in large groups or in small groups is they know who to choose and how to choose them. So they purify their ranks and then the target is achieved. Look at how Dawood killed Jalutov and it was over. The, the war was done. They became victorious over a people who were seemingly much stronger than them. Or, 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 or much more powerful than them. So quality over quantity, we can't stress this enough. Today we have many, many Muslimin. But Rasulullah has told us that towards the end of time, you will be like the foam that comes in the floods. You know, you, you just see the foam that's passing and it just, you know, disappears and dissipates. It doesn't really benefit a person. Subhanallah, as you mentioned, it's about, you know, it's not about the quantity, how many people you have. No, it's about the quality and the work you put in, in any task in life. Sheikh and I, I think it was a great session today. If, is there anything you want to add on? Uh, yes, towards the end of the story, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had not kept the people in check with others, then the whole earth would have been corrupt. So, you know, people are there to keep others in check at times. And we need leadership in this manner. So uh, sometimes you have a leader that makes a decision you don't like, but that leader is there for a reason. Had Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not placed him uh, for, you know, to keep you in check and to keep you in, in your place and position, 
then unfortunately the people would have done whatever they wanted to do and fought one another, killed one another, destroyed one another. So sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually even sends armies and destroys certain criminal elements of society and community in order to protect the rest. When we look at this, we might see it as something bad, something wrong. But ultimately, don't question the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just say, khair, inshallah, perhaps there is goodness in this, uh, God willing, and move on with your life. You know, if there's anything that stood out in today's session was submitting to the decree of Allah jalla wa ala. Things, as we mentioned in the first story, they won't always happen at your time. In the other stories, we mentioned how these things, you might see something as a negative, but looking back on it later, you'll find where it was a positive and how it actually needed to happen. Yes, someone mentioned what is mentioned in the Bible, etc. I think with regards to Israeliyat, that which came from uh, the people of the book, then there is mention of this in the Sunnah. What is our belief with regards to this? So I think what's mentioned in these books, I'm talking about somebody who's reading in the tafsir, the, the tafsir of the Quran. You find that these riwayat, they of three different categories, those that are correct and they are in conformity of what we believe, then we take that. Those that go completely against what we believe in, we leave that. And those which it's neither, it's neither for or against, it's something in the middle, like a piece of information we can neither verify or deny. Here we are allowed to speak about it without, you know, without saying that it's correct or not. We leave it as it is. Yes, yes. Uh, I think that's important for the people to know because uh, someone was mentioning that there's descriptions of David that are bad in certain books, etc. Look, we don't want to talk about specific books and beliefs, but like we mentioned, we've got the, the, the principle, which is that which agrees with us, we take it, and that which disagrees with us, if it is bad or wrong or contradicts uh, according to our belief, then we will not accept it and not take it as fact and true. Uh, so where there's bad mention of the Anbiya, والسلام, we don't believe in this because we know that the Anbiya were the best of human beings and they were the greatest of examples for people to follow. Uh, we can't actually say anything bad about these messengers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He chose them for a reason. And uh, I think that's important to, to note. Yes, it's extremely important to note. That's why sometimes when you're reading through the books of tafsir, you can't just go and quote everybody who mentioned this. No, the ulama in the same book, the same author who has written that tafsir, at the beginning, he will tell you about his position when it comes to Israeliyat, when it comes to this, when it comes to this. So you have to know how they've written the books. And you know, it brings me to a point that sometimes when we read through the books, especially if we don't know the Arabic or we, we haven't really learned a lot, you can't just open any page and find, okay, this is like this and start quoting it, especially if it's, you know, sometimes people come out with things that don't really conform to what everybody or all the Muslims believe and they want to come out with something new and they say, I found it in this book. Well, maybe the author who is speaking about it in this book told you that when he mentions certain things, you take it, you don't really have to believe it or disbelieve it. It's like an Israeliyat that we don't know conform or they go against. Believe it. So you have to know, especially when quoting everybody, the context they mentioned it in and how they mentioned it, and especially what uh, we could say manhaj or what method they are using when writing these books, especially tafsir or the shuruhat explanations of hadith.
Yes, so true. You know, context is so important as well. Uh, people take things out of context for no reason, uh, pick up very small bits and pieces of what you've said and then uh, begin to argue with you or refute what you've said, whereas in reality they haven't even really understood the full context of the situation. Uh, I think as Muslimin that we can derive a point from there as well uh, to say that when you hear something, don't just believe it, but try to think good of the situation and think there must be something more to it. There must be some goodness to it. Perhaps the man meant something else. Make an excuse for him until you find that, yes, definitely he said something very bad or wrong. In that case, wrong is wrong and right will remain right until uh, Qiyamah. Yes, as you mentioned, that's the first stage. The second stage, let's say he's done something wrong. How do you deal with this mistake? Do you just go and you know publish his mistakes everywhere or start speaking? Go to him, ask him about the context. Maybe he's genuinely made a mistake and he would love it if somebody came to correct him. Yes, that's also true that once he's made a mistake, it doesn't mean that he's now uh, a disbeliever or has left Islam altogether. We need to focus upon the positives and then try to correct the person in the best manner possible uh, rather than humiliating or coming out there and saying bad about this person. Yes, we need to verify facts and also we need to, you know, leave judgment to Allah Jalla wa'ala. Yes, you may disagree with somebody or somebody may say something completely out, especially in the world we live in today. There's a way to go to go about when it comes to these things, how to handle them, how to address them. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it when, for what I've got to say. Yes, Jazakallah uh, Khair. It's been lovely, Sheikhna. And uh, inshallah, I'll leave you for today and we'll meet tomorrow, bi'ithnillah ta'ala, at the same time. Jazakumullah Khairan. Tomorrow is a very interesting juz, the third juz. There's a lot of stories mentioned. There's the story of Zakaria, alayhi salam, the story of Isa, alayhi salam. Allah Jalla wa'ala speaks about how when he saw the fruit, what did he do when Maryam had the fruit? What did that inspire Zakaria alayhi salam to do? Inshallah, that and much more we will discuss tomorrow, bi'ibnillah. Bi'ibnillah, jazakallahu khayran, and see you tomorrow, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. Amin wa iyyakum wa alaikum as-salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.